0: You don't have to have a massive collection to have a full whiskey experience. In fact, you only need seven whiskeys. If you want to hear what they are, then stick around. Before we get started, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon members. If you don't know, we have a monthly subscription now where you can support the podcast with a monthly donation. Uh, But it's not just a donation. There's a lot of member benefits. We have some bonus content, special offers, distillery takeovers. Patreon only single barrels, in-person meetups, monthly virtual bottle shares, and massive discounts on merchandise. And you get the satisfaction of knowing that you support the channel and its mission. So we'd appreciate you going and checking it out. Link in description below. Disclaimers for this episode, we are not going to give you actual bottles that you're supposed to buy. We're gonna focus on categories and the reason why you should have a bottle in each one of these categories and we will also talk about some examples, but we're not gonna give you a finite list. Now let's get into the list. Uh, The first whiskey that I think that you need for a full whiskey experience is something low proof. Um, So a good example of that would be Uh, This early times, uh, not too long ago, we did a blind ranking of the cheapest whiskeys that they sold at the liquor store. And what we discovered is that some of these, you know, $7.99 plastic bottles have, reasonably good whiskey in it, you know, but they are 80 proof. And the reason why I recommend that you have a lower proof and you know, what's lower proof from one person may not be lower proof to another, right? So um, a lot of people feel like anything below bottle and bond, which would be 100 proof is considered a low proof. For me, I'm usually looking for something that's uh, 80 to 90 proof if I want a low proof bourbon. And the reason why I keep them uh, around is because you got to consider your drinking session, right? So if you have Friends coming over on a Saturday afternoon for a pool party, and they're coming over at two, and you expect them to stay until 11 o'clock at night. You probably don't want to be drinking cash strength whiskey the whole time. Um, it might be wise to use the lower proof bourbon in your cocktails um, just so that you can reduce the amount of ethanol that you take in and be able to extend out the amount of time you're able to drink and have fun with your friends, uh, but not get too much alcohol. Um, and so I always like to have a couple of low proof options around. Another reason would be if I have somebody over to the house and maybe they're not a real experienced whiskey drinker, so they're not going to appreciate kind of a limited release, higher proof option. Um, I don't want to waste a, a rare allocated bottle on somebody who is just as happy drinking a off the shelf, lower proof version. And so I like to keep a low proof around. Uh, our number two recommendation would be a cash drink bourbon. Uh, The opposite of the low proof bourbon and a good example of that would be like the prideful goat Um, All of our offerings are all cash strength non chill filtered and for me That's gonna be something that I want around personally for when I want to you know have a sip the cash-strength whiskeys are a little deeper in flavor and There are some people who complain that distilleries will will release their whiskey at a higher proof to hide their faults. And if there's any truth to that at all, it tells you something about the higher proof cash strength bourbons. And, And I wouldn't just say cash strength. Let's keep in mind the term cash strength and barrel proof mean the same thing. And then there's another pretty common category called full proof. And full proofs are uh, not the same as a cash strength or barrel proof. They are whiskeys that have been bottled at their barrel entry proof. So uh, say it goes into the barrel at 125, uh, during aging it goes up to 135, they're gonna water it back down to 125 and bottle it, and that would be a full proof. Uh, but I like to have those because they are full of flavored. Um, often they're, they represent kind of a special release and it's something special to have around that you can share with a friend Uh, who is a little bit more into whiskey. Uh, My third recommendation would be a finished whiskey. So uh, up until recently, the standards of identity will identify bourbon as class 101 or 141. Uh, 141 is straight, 101 is just regular bourbon, and they have all of the requirements laid out in the code for when you're allowed to put that on your label, Uh, but Lincoln Henderson from Angel's Envy, formerly from uh, Brown Foreman, came up with the idea of starting a whiskey company that borrowed from the scotch. And in Scotland, they don't typically age in new new barrels that have never been filled before. They are aging in used barrels from all over the world, different regions. And that allows them to develop some deeper flavors in that whiskey. Um, You know, they... Quartz are very popular, sherries are very popular, um, most Scotch is aged in used bourbon barrels because in the states you have to age in a new charred oak container for it to legally be a uh, mash bill whiskey, including bourbon, which means we have tons of barrels around here that we can't use a second time, so we ship them to other regions of the world. Um, but Lincoln Henderson kind of popularized and commercialized the idea of legally making a bourbon, but dumping it out of its original barrel and then putting it into a barrel that used to house something else. And that's gonna allow you to pull flavors out of that barrel that you would not get out of a new oak container. And that's what we call a finished whiskey. And so a, a good example that I have of that is this Doc Swinson's right here. Uh, this was a, a finished product. We actually went up to their distillery in Washington and picked this and you're going to notice that there's a whole other world of flavors in finished whiskeys than you can get out of a standard bourbon and it just kind of makes it exciting and and gives you something else for your repertoire. What's the name of one of the best craft whiskeys in the United States? Frey Ranch. What makes Frey Ranch worthy of that high praise? First off, they're one of the nation's only farm-to-glass distilleries. That means they grow everything on site that goes into the whiskey. Before the founders Colby and Ashley Frey even started distilling, they knew they were growing really high quality grain on the farm and wanted a way to share it with the world. Having a passion for farming experience, they thought what better way to showcase their grains than to make it into whiskey. Virtually every whiskey you've ever heard of, they can't say that. They even malt their own barley on site. If you know anything about malted barley, a key grain in nearly every whiskey recipe, you know that almost no distillery can make that claim. You might be thinking, but I've tried craft whiskey, and I don't like it. Most craft distilleries make whiskey on a pot still. This means the more efficient they try to get in their process, the more the grain solids get burned in the pot, which makes the whiskey taste like over-roasted coffee beans. Plus, pot stills leave in more flavor compounds and oils than traditional column still whiskey. All the whiskey you love from Kentucky is made on a column still, where the grain solids never come in contact with the heat source. Frey Ranch had one of the world's first Vindome systems built, That does the first distillation run on a column still but does the finishing run on a pot still. This gives them the control of a pot still without the overwhelming flavors. This is why Frey Ranch is bolder than most but with none of the off-putting flavors you might have experienced in the past with other craft whiskeys. They have no whiskey less than four years old with most of the products at five plus years. That is a lot of age for the wild temperature swings that you see in Nevada versus the mild change that they have in Kentucky. If you want to experience well-made, bold craft whiskey with a legacy as American as apple pie, go to the description and click the link. Please use the link so they know that we sent you. When you click the link, you're gonna see that they're available to ship in 30 plus states. They're also available in stores and bars near you in Nevada, California, Arizona, Ohio, and Georgia. And the best of all, they're coming to stores in Texas very soon. Cheers. The next category that I'm going to want you to have is a toasted barrel. And a lot of people get confused about toasted barrel and finished whiskey. So a toasted barrel is a barrel that has gone through a slow cooking process. Think of the difference between grilling a steak and smoking a brisket. So the reason why you smoke a brisket and you don't grill it is because that slow, low temperature process breaks down the connective tissues in the brisket and makes it tender. Well, you can do the same thing kind of with a barrel. There's a cellulose la- layer in oak, in white oak that we make our barrels out of, and that's going to keep the whiskey from penetrating as deep into the barrel. and so. Typically, a charred barrel is charred for around 45 seconds with a very hot heat. A toasted barrel is going to be slow cooked at a much lower temperature for about 45 minutes. And not only does it break down the cellulose level to allow the whiskey to penetrate into the barrel more and to pull more things out of the barrel, but it also caramelizes the wood sugars that are inside that oak. And it adds a very interesting, like, almost s'mores flavor. Um, It's like a a creme brulee kind of a a toasted caramel thing going on, Um, and often it adds a little bit of a smoke flavor too. And the most popular toasted barrel finishes would be like a uh, Maker's Mark, uh, which they are not put in a second toasted barrel. They actually have toasted staves that are submerged down in there um and then the wood for double oak and so double oak is almost always a toasted barrel but it doesn't technically have to be so a double oak uh, is is, or a double barrel whiskey means that it was in a barrel they dumped it and they put it into another barrel Um, typically that second barrel is going to be toasted the first barrel could be has to be charred it could be toasted and charred the second barrel could be toasted or charred or both so but typically if there's a double barrel it is going to be a toasted barrel product Um, so woodford double oak and uh, maker's mark are great examples of those but those are great flavors Uh, often taste like an after dinner drink because there's so much extra sweetness in there the fifth category would be rye Um, i think that you should have a rye whiskey in your repertoire Um, There are lots of great offerings. The one that I have out here on display is a Knob Creek rye, um, quintessential Kentucky style rye. There are two different styles of rye, though, um, and it has to do with the difference of philosophy. So people who make whiskey in Kentucky think that rye is there as a uh, flavor grain and corn should be the real star of the show because, you know, they're the capital of bourbon. Uh, but before Prohibition, the majority of whiskey that was made on the East Coast was from the Baltimore, uh, Maryland area, and they had a style of whiskey production that was mostly focused on rye, and it was 80 plus percent rye typically. And so most people will consider an 80 plus percent rye a Maryland style rye. and. The rise that are what we call barely legal rise, which would be 51%, the minimum allowed to be in the rye category, those are generally considered Kentucky style rise. Um, and so it might be interesting for you to try a couple of different ryes and see which style you prefer um most of the uh like for instance the prideful goat rye is 95% rye so it's definitely more of a maryland style rye than the one that i have out here which would be 51% but you're going to get a lot more spice you're going to get baking notes out of that and uh rye whiskey often appeals to women uh more often whenever they're first being introduced to whiskey uh, because there's a lot of familiar flavors in there like cinnamon and nutmeg and and uh, clove things like that that you might find around Christmas time Uh, so if you're trying to introduce somebody it's a good idea to give them some bourbon if they don't like it give them some rye and see if that's more to their liking My sixth category would be craft whiskey. Now, craft whiskey is more of a marketing term than a legal term. It's not defined in the the standards of identity, Um, but generally speaking, craft whiskey producers are making far less than the major Kentucky distilleries that are out there. And specifically, I'm gonna recommend that you look for a pot still. So whenever a distillery's first getting started, they have to buy distillery equipment and it's very expensive. Uh, the more efficient equi- equipment would be a column still or a continuous still, uh, but those are far more expensive as an initial startup cost, cost than a pot still whiskey. Um, And so most distilleries, because, you know, they're struggling to get the cash together, they start off with pot still. And pot stills leave a lot of fusel oils and other flavor compounds we generally refer to as congeners in the whiskey. And it is a completely different experience than drinking a, you know, mass produced column still whiskey from Kentucky. Not saying it's better, but it is different. And my favorite pot still bourbon is probably from Iron Root Republic. Um, It's it's gotten popular enough. It can be hard to find, but most of your local craft producers are going to be using a pot still. And I'd recommend that you have one on your shelf just for a complete experience. And last but not least, for the seven whiskeys that you need, I think you need a foreign whiskey in there. And I don't care which one you pick, maybe you try a few different ones and see which one is to your liking. Uh, The Scotch, obviously, you know, Scotland major whiskey producing area, Ireland, Japanese, Canadian. Um, I've been tasting some really good things out of India lately. Uh, But the the, uh, example that I have here is a Yamazaki, which is a very popular Japanese whiskey. Um, But what you're going to find is that most of the other whiskey producing areas around the world, they don't make whiskey out of corn uh, for their premium whiskeys. Typically, their premium whiskeys are going to be single malt whiskeys. And most of them, especially for their premium versions, use a pot still instead of a column still. And that's partially because uh, the single malt um, malted barley it doesn't have as much flavor in it as, as corn and rye uh, do as a grain and so you want to use a manufacturing process that doesn't strip a whole lot of the flavor compounds out because you don't have a whole lot to deal with to begin with and so i think it'd be you know really interesting for you to have a foreign whiskey around uh, for scotch i love akintoshin uh, japanese i really love yamazaki although it can be hard to find uh, for Indian whiskeys, I really love Amroot. Uh, those, those have been great. Um, there's some um, uh, Taiwanese whiskey that I really like called Kavalon. But yeah, go out there, find yourself a nice single malt foreign whiskey, have that in your repertoire. And if you have a bottle of everything else, you'll have seven bottles with very distinct flavors that represent a major cross-section of what is possible in the whiskey world. And you'll be able to create An amazing whiskey experience for anyone who comes over to your house. So, if this is your first time watching the show, I'd love to thank you for the view and tell you a little bit about our show philosophy. We are all about bringing people together around bourbon. And that's something that's important to me because I lost my brother to suicide in 2014. And in the aftermath of his passing, I was, you know, like anybody who's left behind, uh, trying to figure out, you know, what happened and what, what could we have done differently. And I started to realize that because when my brother got out of the military, he was addicted to opioids, his behavior had started to cause the social fabric around him to break down. And he didn't have the connections around him that we all crave. And it made me want to find a way to create connection for individuals. And I saw whiskey bringing people together, even people of various walks of life that would normally not be connected. And I thought to myself, maybe I could get you connected to whiskey and whiskey will do the rest of the job and connect you to others. And so that's part of the reason why we started the podcast. But when we were looking at a connection, we started to look at online social forums and we saw kind of the negative side of the whiskey enthusiast community and that's whiskey trolls. And whiskey trolls are individuals who for the most part um, are very hateful to strangers online in an attempt to make themselves feel important and make the other people feel small. And seeing that made me realize two things. One, we needed to start Bourbon Real Talk Community, which is a free online forum uh, that we maintain as a part of this podcast where everybody is welcome uh, except for trolls. So we have people of all different experience levels, all different walks of life. And it is a beautiful symbiotic thing that's going on in there. And we'd love to see you be a part of that. But the other thing that seeing that hate made me realize is that if those people can hate a stranger online, even though they don't really know them, there's nothing that keeps me from loving you online, even though I don't really know you. And that's why I end the podcast the same way each week. And that's this if you woke up this morning and you're unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. And I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. Whiskey Troll is a person who seeks negative attention and uses contrarian attitudes to derail civil discussion in online forums. They communicate in ways they never would face-to-face because they're keyboard warriors. Their only goal is to make other people feel inferior. Hey guys, I'm new here. I just got my first blatant. And trust me, you probably paid way too much. I don't care much about the blatants, but nice (laughs) (laughs) There's no way that she didn't buy that at secondary. Idiot. Oh, I know how you got that bottle. So, are you sick and tired of the whiskey trolls running your fun online? Well, that's why we started Bourbon Real Talk Community. Congratulations. Let me know what you think when you open it up. Hey, welcome to the group. Let me send you over a sample of Blanton's gold and straight from the barrel. See how you like those. I remember back to my first bottle of Blanton's. It was the birthday to my son, and we enjoy it every year on his birthday. Congrats. So if you're looking to connect with some people online who aren't head over to facebook.com and join Bourbon Real Talk community today.